Watermaster Studio presents Brushing Up, a miniature painting and tabletop gaming podcast. Welcome to Brushing Up, the miniature painting and tabletop gaming podcast where I, Dan the Quartermaster, talk with hobby industry professionals, community leaders and volunteers, as well as content creators about their experiences in the hobby. My guest on this episode of Brushing Up is Black Library author Denny Flowers. I caught up with him to have a chat about his latest book, Fire Made Flesh, a Necromunda novel, as well as his career as a writer. So joining me remotely in the studio is Denny Flowers, the author of Fire Made Flesh, a Necromunda novel. Denny, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be here, virtually. Yeah, it is <laughs> in these trying times. Indeed. Uh, we, we have to connect somehow, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> How have you been? Um, yeah, pretty good. I mean, it's kind of with that little asterisk of given <laughs> there's a global pandemic and everything else. But um, yeah. yeah, I was the weird thing of being a writer during the pandemic is uh-huh. in terms of my work, it doesn't really make any difference. It's been the sort of social aspect of things. But yeah, last couple of years have been really good in terms of, you know, getting to do this job that I really love and yep. not so great in terms of everything else. But overall, I, I'm doing OK. Yeah. Swings and roundabouts. Yeah. Um, you know. Before we talk about your your writing uh, for Black Library, um, I do have the obligatory hobby questions that, by hobby law, I'm required to ask everyone that comes on the show. So are you happy to answer them for us? Yeah, go right ahead. Brilliant. So question number one is, how did you get into the hobby? Um, I I try to have a think about this. It's... um... Just the probably the first box game I had was Hero Quest back in the mm-hmm. day. Classic. And yeah, we we finished it, and my dad, bless him, made new campaigns, new maps. We kept going with it. Even before then, though, I do remember as a quite a little kid reading through a load of old D and D source books that were just stuck somewhere in my parents' house, and not really understanding any of it, but being really intrigued by the characters and spending a long time trying to work out which race was the best before eventually realizing they're balanced. Right. But, um, yeah, so I guess Hero Quest is probably in from there, Warhammer Fantasy, and then just sort of spiraling um, to various games, mainly GW. Mm. And um, now in the hobby, do you see yourself more as, as a gamer or a painter um, when it comes to your personal hobby? It kind of, I've gone through cycles. So originally, I was definitely more of a gamer, but I was one of those people who just didn't like seeing bare plastic on my side of the table. No, I hear um, you there. Yeah, I mean, other people do what they want is fine, but just I would always niggle me. So I wasn't a particularly good painter, but I did paint everything, but it was all to game. There would, I never would paint a miniature for fun or just as a piece. It would always be so I could put it on the table. But right. as I've gotten older, um, I've got less time for gaming. I've got more <laughs> commitments, yeah, especially in the last couple of years. It's been a bit tricky. Um, so I still paint to play, but at this point I dedicate much more time to painting than I ever do to gaming. So I guess at this point I put myself down more as a painter. Oh, brilliant. Um, so as a painter, I guess the follow-up question I've got here is what are you currently working on? What's on the paint table at the moment? Gee, um, so I randomly and through no planning throughout the pandemic have painted a fairly sizable Death Guard army. Mm. Um, yeah the writer bit of my brain halfway through went you know this would be a good horror story where you're painting all these plague miniatures whilst the pandemic's getting worse (laughs) but like luckily i don't actually think i'm the center of the universe so i don't think it's related but i finished all the um the troops and i've got my whole um battalion sorted and 
Mortarian is sitting on my desk and is not making great progress because it, it's a very intimidating model, especially when you go online and see, you know, people painting eyeballs and stuff on the wings. And I'm nowhere near that level. So that's technically on my desk. That's kind of in a box. It might actually be under my desk now, I think, at this point. And I'm currently working on a couple of Necromunda conversions, which I'm afraid are from my novels, which seems very oh. self-indulgent. But a part no. of me was just like, ah, oh, screw it, I'm going to do this. I think um, many people out there um, who collect uh, any of the Games Workshop games and are fans of uh, Black Library novels have probably incorporated uh, some characters from, from the novels into their, uh, into their armies or Necromunda games in your case. So I mean, I think that's cool. There's just, when it's your own characters, it's a little bit self-indulgent. <laughs> you know, somebody else is great. Your own is like, yeah, I'm just really sort of... Um self-pleasuring myself but uh yeah so that's currently i've got one finished and the other one is currently a bunch of arms and legs that i'm looking at um oh, brilliant. trying to figure out but you'll yeah. um have to take some photos and chuck them up on your uh, instagram account i'll look I think to one, of, one of them came out uh but it was yesterday so there is one right. lurking on my instagram but yeah uh then i don't know whenever i get around to the next one okay definitely will check them out and then the final question in our obligatory hobby questions is what advice would you give to somebody who's interested in getting involved in the hobby? Um, it's, I suppose you don't need to do everything at once because it's vast and there's, you know, there's painting, there's mm -hmm. gaming, there's black library, there's um, the community, there's all sorts of stuff. And there's also that, I think it must be worse for people starting now because you just look online and see so many amazing paint jobs. So I guess yeah. it would be, don't be put off by that. You know, you can start small, Decide what you really want to get out of the game. Yeah. Paint the stuff that just appeals to you. Don't feel too constrained by what you should do. And probably start small. I guess if I was really now, I'd say start with some kind of small, closer to sort of board game kind of thing and maybe build from there. Um, GW does a bunch, but so do other people. Yeah. Main thing, I guess, is just have fun. So whichever aspect of the hobby, hobby gives you fun, do that bit and don't worry if other people have different ways of having fun because it's all good. Yeah. Definitely run your own race. Exactly, yeah. Brilliant. Well, with those out of the way, let's uh, tackle uh, the questions about your writing for Black Library. Um, I guess probably the best place to start would be at the beginning. As to, uh, how did you get into writing? And in turn, how did you become a writer for Black Library? So in, in terms of getting into writing, I think that's something I've always done, even as mm -hmm. quite a little kid. I always told story. I can remember being set, I don't know, when I was about 14, a writer's story for English and everyone handed them in and mine had got to about sort of 20 pages of A4 and was right. nowhere near finished because it was just like the first <laughs> bit of some epic novel that never got concluded. Oh, no. Um, so, yeah, I, I've always enjoyed writing. I um, went through a period where I was commuting to London, which was like sort of two hours there and back. Yep. And after spending a lot of time reading, I started writing then more seriously did a couple of novels, didn't get anywhere with them, uh, had a child and got a more serious job and moved and it kind of faded away as a background thing. Um, and then, which sort of ties into the next bit of the Black Library, uh, yep. they had their open submission thing. I think it was 2018. Yeah, uh, I think that's right. Yeah, and um, I somebody at work had read a couple of my things and very nicely kept bullying me, saying, why don't you do more with this? And when I saw that sort of thought, well, I've always I've always loved GW. I've you know read Black Library. I like writing. This is maybe worth a go, and it, it turned out it it was worth a go. So I got through there, and yeah. after the first short, they said we'd like you to do more, and it just kind of built from there. And now I 
it sort of coincided with my uh, job, the department I was working for possibly getting restructured. There was a risk of redundancy. Yep. And about the same time as that was the point where they said, would you like to write a novel? And I just sort of took the plunge, as it were, got my redundancy payout. Um, and have now writing is my, I wouldn't quite say full-time job because it sort of depends how much work I've got on, but it's my yeah. primary job, I guess. Yeah, no, I understand. And um I guess uh, from there, is it is it just been a case of sort of um, doing like, as you said, you submitted that short story and then were asked to, to write for them. Is it just kind of escalated from there to get to the point where now you're writing um, full length novels for them? Yeah, I mean, it was quite quick and it was. I, I, I don't want to blow my own trumpet and no. I don't know what anybody else's experiences are like. So I, mm. I'm not, but from my point of view, I wrote them a short story. They said, that's great. Hey, would you like to write one for this compilation? And I said, yeah, handed it in. And they said, would you like to do? And they, there's one story so far that I've pitched, but pretty much everything else has been them contacting me saying, would you like to do something else? Right. Um, I think at the point they were trying to expand or Necromunda had just recently come out and they wanted mm. some more of that fiction and I think partly it was good timing because that's one of my favourite games I played yeah. the original version back in the day I've played it um, in the years since even when it was out of print etc it was just one of my gaming groups go to every few years yeah. um, so I knew the setting um, and yeah I think it was kind of a right place right time but yeah from there it's uh, just been fairly steady I think um, I, you know so far I've not seem to irritate anybody or written anything <laughs> disastrous so there's always the fear i've just handed something in and there's a little um i don't know if people there's a thing called imposter syndrome right which i've had repeatedly when you start a new job any job yeah. and yeah. you kind of just feel like i don't belong here and that someone's gonna <laughs> just tap you on the shoulder and say um sorry sir would you just leave now and you're going yes of course yeah. i'm obviously i'm sorry i was ever so i've still got that a little bit so every time i hand something in i worry they're gonna go mm, no this is no good we're done well, yeah. thank you very much. But so far, it's been all right. Don't call us. We'll call you. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, as I say, touch wood, it's going okay, I think. All right. Well, fingers crossed it keeps going that way. Yeah. Um, I guess that leads on to my next question. I'm curious as to how much license or free reign you're given uh, by Black Library. Um, you did mention how they've approached you and said, would you like to write for, for this collection of, of short stories or whatnot? Um, so within that, how much... I guess, free reign do you get as a writer writing for them? And in turn, what guidance or structure do they provide you um, when you take on a project for them? Um, so it, it's, it partly depends on the project and it right. partly depends on the editor. So okay. I've, I've dealt with three editors, but primarily two. One of them was just for one um, short. Uh, mm. And one of them is much more... Uh, let's iron absolutely everything out early on. I've got questions about this. Right. We, we really bring it down. So I start writing with it very much laid out. The other one is a little freer in that regard. Um, okay. More sort of make sure when you're writing it, we don't stray too much here or keep this in mind. Or I really like this. Can you keep that the focus? But it's more when I hand it to him, let's look at it now and see how it needs to be re revised or changed. Um, in terms of the, uh, the free reign. So, some work I've done is for short story compilations. So yep. I did one for um, uh, Blackstone Fortress and one for Diachasm. For those okay. ones, it's much more heavily dictated, partly because if you've got something like Diachasm where you've got, I don't know how many war bands there are, like 10, 12, you need, yeah, something you like don't, that. yeah, you don't want like eight stories about flesh eater courts. No. 
so you need a balance. So the, the, for that one, there will be much more of an approach of we'd like you to write about this race, maybe dealing with this one. In terms yeah. of the story, it's pretty flexible. Um, most of them, I, you know, I never try and bat outside the setting. So I'm not mm. trying to do a love story between an elder and a space marine. I'm assuming <laughs> if that happened, it would get shot down fairly brutally. Um, but oh, no. I, yeah, because I know the settings fairly well. I'm yeah. sort of a fan. Uh, it's there's quite a lot of I you know I create my own characters. Uh, they kind of do what I want. There's um there's there's been a couple of times where I've suggested something and there's been a flat no, but that's usually more because it's overlapping on a story that's planned to come out. I had no. I suggested a I won't say what because I don't know when no, the novel no, no. Out, that's but fine. Yeah. I th- there was a short where I was like, how about this? And they said that's brilliant. We got somebody working on a novel with that plot. Oh. okay well that's done and that's very very fair because yeah. again it's kind of getting the variety um but yeah i honestly in necromunda the fire made flesh came from them saying we'd like you to do a novel about yeah. the gilders okay. um give us some ideas so i sent through about four yeah. and one of them was picked up as the the favorite but beyond that it was literally write something about the gilders and it just sort of went from there so, Brilliant. yeah, as I say, I guess it's mainly knowing to stick within the setting. I've possibly not tested that that much. There's been a couple of points where they've pulled me away from being a bit too graphic or yeah. um, drifting towards maybe like too grimdark. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that's probably about it. It's been, I thought it'd be more constraining than it is. It really isn't. Oh, well, I guess that's a, that's a, a very interesting insight into the process there. Yeah. Um, I, I guess a follow-up question would be because you mentioned about writing for like the Blackstone Fortress um, mm. uh, collection and for Diachasm. So clearly, there's obviously uh, a direction where they they're needing to support uh, the other products that are being released and providing that sort of uh, background material, as mm. it were, or narrative for those. Uh, is that a fair assumption? Yeah, I mean. Uh, th- Part of me, whenever I, whenever I, I don't actually, I don't do, this is my second podcast. I don't get asked That's okay. Well. But whenever I think about these things, I'm like, maybe I should ask more questions because I don't really. <laughs> um, they just, with the, the diachasm, for example, um, I, someone contacted me and said, I, you know, I've heard, I think it was just after the um, uh, Black Library Open Day back where people could do things like that before the yeah. virus. Yes, and um, they said, you're a big fan of Skaven. Would you like to do a Skaven short story? And I was like, yes, because I'm a huge fan of Skaven. <laughs> Why not? Um, <laughs> yeah, so, um, and the Blackstone Fortress one, again, was there was more flexibility. I can't really remember exactly. I think that one was more, plus I was more nervous back then because I'd only just started. Right. Um, but yeah, I, d- I don't really know. I think they just, uh, for those ones, they... I don't really know. They they will they need the book to support the game, I guess, or they want to expand yeah. the fiction. But it's um, I mean, for the Skaven one, I got to do also, I got to make some hints to the old world. I got to add a magical artifact. There was a lot of it really is very very open in terms of what you can do, providing it kind of fits the setting and doesn't tread on any toes, I guess. Yeah, of course. And you were mentioning before about with some um, fire made flesh, and we'll go into a bit more detail about that in a minute. But I'm I'm curious to know where you get most of your ideas from. And, and how heavily do you draw from the actual games and setting and, and uh, the source materials that exist out there um, for games like Necromunda or the um, Diachasm or a Blackstone Fortress? Um, so, yeah, where do you get your ideas from? I don't know. 
<laughs> <laughs> I think there's an old, I'm not sure if it's, it was either Stephen King or Gary Larson, which is a weird thing where they said yeah. someone asked them that and they always have an image of this like locked box in the attic where you okay. open it and it's full of terrible like, things that can be used as ideas. But I've got a very good memory, especially not so much for like names, faces or people, but in terms of films, books, TV shows, yeah. I remember a lot. So I think probably a lot of things sit in the background there. I mean, a lot of writing is, there's always a joke, it's kind of plagiarism. But yeah. There's a lot of little... So I think a lot of that kind of helps inform stuff. In terms of the setting, it varies. So you don't want to violate the setting. And I always no. try and make an effort because it's, it's kind of, you want to try and include things from the game because that's partly why people read. Um, Definitely. So there is that. But I mean, for Fire Made Flesh, for example, there's, I think, a paragraph in one of the books. It might be the Book of Peril right. uh, detailing the... A guild of flame and the guild of light and that they've had a consistent battle and that paragraph effectively was my foundation for the novel but there's not a lot of description there there is a um party you can hire for the guild of flame but yeah. there isn't one for the guild of light so there is not yet i don't think no yeah. so they wouldn't say there was nothing but there was very very little so there was a lot of room to just kind of build and develop ideas from there and a lot of it just kind of goes organically so you yeah. start thinking about how the universe is built, the, mm. how the guild. So in my novel, the Guild of Light are uh, characterized by a lot of them, like sort of uh, eyes being shaved so they can endure incredibly bright light, mm. which they're having all their things as kind of a measurement of their wealth and their prestige, which also means they're completely bloody useless if they ever left, left the citadel. So there's like a core group of hermits living there. Mm. Um, and so that just kind of expanded from the logical, well, how would this sort of work in this setting? Yeah. Um, likewise, sometimes you get weird themes. It occurred to me partway through writing it that I effectively had, you know, a guy supported by fossil fuels versus the um, renewable energy department, which is not something <laughs> which I really pulled into the setting because it's not particularly relevant to Necromunda. And, you know, uh, but it was just those little things like that where you go, this does draw some strange parallels with various things. So yeah. I guess ideas come from a lot of different places. Um, obviously, like reading Necromunda and Black Library and Games Workshop wider stuff, wider stuff is very helpful. But yeah. I've been doing that for sort of 20 years. So I think quite a lot of it just sits in the background mm. and kind of gets drawn out as you start working. I guess to, to sort of flip it on its head, if in, in future editions or supplements for Necromunda, um, they do bring out the rules for the, um, the Guild of Light, the Makeda Lux. Um, do you reckon they'll probably draw upon what you've already written? Do you reckon that'd be <laughs> a definite that... possibility? <laughs> sort of look to see your fiction brought into uh, the flesh, as it were. That would be awesome. I mean, yeah. I'd, I'd, it'd be awesome if there was just, you know, a paragraph somewhere about this particular guild or this guy. who was like, <laughs> that's my guy. Um, I, I don't, I really don't know. When I wrote the book, I, they were starting to work on the um, House of Chains, uh, House of Blades, etc. Yeah. And a lot more source materials there. So I was kind of, the editor said to me, look, there's going to be stuff coming out. But I don't even know, at that point, the Guild of Light might have just been a twinkle in somebody's eye. And they might yeah. have their own really set idea for what it's going to be. Right. So when I wrote the novel, one of the things we discussed and agreed was it's dealing with a group of guilders, mm. but they don't necessarily are or are not particularly representative as a whole because right. especially someone like necromunda it's a lot looser i always think yeah. of the those sort of things as archetypes 
Mm-hmm. Like in 40k Space Marines, you have a you have a tactical squad, you have a dev. Yeah. It's quite set what that is. In Necromunda, like you, there's no way that every single guild is going to have exactly the same entourage. No. They're all like sort of types that represent things, but there's a lot of room for wiggle with that. So I don't know if they'll pull it in or not. If they've already got strong ideas, um, my guilders might be anomalies or might not be. Um, but yeah. it's kind of fine either way because it's. It's very much one of the reasons I like Necromunda is it's one of those games where it's very much your guys. Mm. You know, your Ultramarine army is still your guys, but for Necromunda, it's really your guys down yeah. to so much levels of detail and customization, etc. So I guess these are my guilders, inverted commas. <laughs> um, what they do, I'll be very interested to see. Yeah, no, we'll have to uh, keep an eye out for them making an appearance. Uh... Because I think they've just released um, models for the uh, the Water Guild on Forge World. Yeah, I, I yeah. couldn't crowbar them into the story. I, no. I think I got, I got about four <laughs> or five sort of linked in, but yeah, I, but yeah, yeah I, I've always loved their ride. The, the models are really cool, and I also liked their ride. I think there's a passage somewhere about them explaining due to an admin error they gave this place too much water. So they're going to go in and suck it out of people and slightly apologetic, but a bit like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where they apologise that they're going to demolish Earth yeah. to make way for a bypass, but that's the yeah. likes. So yeah, I like that aspect of the Guilders that they are just, you know, complete, expletive deleted. So, yeah. yeah, sort of that bureaucratic side of things. Yeah, which I used to work in, so I got a sort of a double appreciation of that. Right, yeah, I hear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but obviously if, if they can bring out the... Um, uh, the models for the, I think they've done the Slavers Guild mm. and the Water Guild. You know, we could possibly in the future see um, the, uh, the the Guild of Light making a the, the an appearance in the in the flesh in models, which would be really cool. So yeah, I mean, they, they, I think the only house book left now is Delac, and they've seemed yep. to have done a guild with each one. And I'm not mm. sure if there's any guilds left other than the Guild of Light, which is a an odd contrast for Delac, but that would be really great because in yeah. the story they kind of team up. So they it would do. be like a, a double. Yeah. Speaking of which, let's, let's talk about Fire Made Flesh. Um, and I guess uh, the big question is what was it like uh, making that sort of step or that transition from writing your short stories and novellas to writing a, a full-length novel for Black Library? Um, it was... There's probably a lot of words I could throw out. So very... Go very very rewarding <laughs> yeah uh, tremendously stressful and terrifying right and um coincided with a bunch of stuff in my personal life so mm. my son started school right i quit my full-time job and to be primary carer for him um mm-hmm. and simultaneously write the book yeah then the pandemic came in yeah so he was off school so and my wife got quite sick she's okay now but you know, COVID came into our house. Yeah. So oh, there was no. a whole bunch of stuff going on. It was, a, it was and we were, in the meantime, I was trying to write this book. I think it probably helped. I think to some extent, kind of the isolation and paranoia um, sort of play into the novel in some ways quite well emotively. Mm-hmm. So I think that was probably beneficial in some ways. I, you know, obviously I'd prefer there wasn't a global pandemic, but it turned out okay. Um, and... It was quite a tight time frame, but I, they gave me an extension because I said, look, there's a lot of stuff going on. So that was very positive. Mm. And um, I learned a lot about the process, about how I because it's been the last time I wrote a novel was sort of 10 years ago. Right. And um, it never got published and it, it was not good. Okay. <laughs> it was it was probably, if I'm being charitable, a bunch of pretty good scenes sort of nailed together with no real structure. 
Oh, okay. Um, and written quite organically. So that was one of the things I learned from doing that, which is that, again, I, I don't want to speak for anybody else. Whatever someone's process, like the same with painting, whatever your process is, if the final yeah. product is good and you haven't killed anybody, um, it's fine. <laughs> it works. Uh, but for me, if I try and write too organically, if I try and um, just see where it goes, mm. it, it, it doesn't. And also the Black Library, would, I don't think would be very happy if they asked for a plan of a novel and I said, oh, I'm just going to wing it. Just so yeah, find it on a, a napkin in a bar and yeah, you know, I'll just see where it goes. Um, <laughs> so um, it was like very heavily planned out. I did it all in Excel. There was, yep. which is probably back from my days of working in admin, and had every chapter mapped out and every character's arrival and in some cases departures and yeah. tried to balance scenes so points of view because it's quite. There's a lot of points of view in the novel. It's quite in that sense complex. Yeah, I was so, going to say, it does sort of jump from different perspectives, which uh, is very interesting. Yeah, it's, um, and it's difficult because you don't want to leave anybody, or at least leave any story of one of the, the plot threads alone for too much time, but equally mm. you need to... So that kind of stuff, it needs that level of planning. So I think writing it in that sense was um, a good, useful learning experience of how to do novels going forward. So weirdly, I've just finished another novel, and... I started with that heavy plan, and mm. then this one has been a lot more wingy. Okay. Um, which might be because it's first person, there's less points of view, there's less just sort of mechanical stuff to balance, but... Right. Yeah, yeah I'm still sort of learning and developing. But it was, um, despite all the horrible crap going on in the world at the time, it's, it yeah. is really like a life goal ticked. So having Fire Made Flesh, having been able to look up now and see a copy at the bottom of my bookshelf is, mm. a, is a really great feeling, and is just something i've always wanted to be a published novelist in since i was a kid and now i've got one and possibly more it's um yeah it's ultimately ended up being very rewarding there yeah, were points mission accomplished was, yeah i mean there were points where because of looking after kids and stuff it was four o'clock yeah. in the morning and i was typing and sort of half crying to myself like <laughs> <laughs> um, oh no yeah it, uh, you know it's the proofs in the pudding is the phrase yeah goes. so yeah it's it, i feel it turned out well in the end so i'm i'm pretty happy about it yeah what I really loved about the novel is, as you said, they, they asked you to write it from the Gilda's perspective. And uh, I liked how with, it kind of flipped things on its head because Necromunda, the game, as you know, the focus is very much on your gang and the, the Gilda's sort of play these sort of uh, fair weather allies that come into battle with your gang if your arbitrator in your campaign allows. Um, what What was it like to kind of adopt that approach whereas a lot of the other necromunda novels tend to be quite gang centric and, and focused uh particularly um I, I remember reading terminal overkill which is very much told from the perspective of of an escher outcast so um you know i i guess how, how do you go to write for a perspective of uh, an in-universe set of characters that haven't really been explored in that way it did worry me a little bit um, that I, it would not that people would be slightly put off because it's not, as you say, the focus of the game, which is the, the gang warfare. Mm. Um, but equally, I think a lot of people like sort of uh, universe building and exploring and seeing little glimpses of how things operate beyond the actual gang violence. So yeah. Um, and so hopefully, I, you know, I, I think it works in the end, and hopefully other people do. But um, writing the Gilders was uh partly i'd done some shorts which had helped introduce some of the characters which was a little bit useful and mm. um 
there's a certain mystery around them which is really nice to play out i mean back in the original necromunda the only prop like in the book scenario i can remember is with featuring guilders was the guilders caravan yes and all I you got from yeah. yeah and so all you got from that was if you're raiding at the end and in some ways you're too successful you might kill a guilder and then you're outlawed and that's it mm. and you know you never have to play as an outlaw gang and they were these almost mythical figures in that sense you just didn't really interact in the setting other than a few sentences here and there so getting to expand them was a lot of fun and slightly getting to play a little bit against archetypes yeah so i tried to make them not necessarily the obvious connotations so Mm. the the slaver gilder is probably the most heroic character in the of them in the book yeah and you kind of just have hopefully a lot of sympathy for her because she's almost as trapped in her role running these slave gangs as the actual serfs are. Yeah. She's kind of been promoted into this position and maybe doesn't actually really want to do it, but it's all she can, it's all she knows. And yeah, exactly. The, the, the corpse grinder Gilda was, uh, uh, my favorite name I've written in a book, um, Lord Credence Sorrow. Yeah. He's, he's a, a very fantastic character. Thank you. He's a, he's yeah. a cheery guy. He's, he's an easygoing guy. He's friend. He's superficially friendly and approachable. But you know, yeah. someone has to grind up the corpses and somebody has to eat them, and that's his job. And he again, maybe would like something a little higher status than grinding up corpses and feeding them to the masses. But you know, that's the position he's in. So, kind of playing with those ideas of making them characters beyond the. I don't want to say obvious because no. that, that seems unfair, but playing out how a character in this role might actually be the same way that not all goliath gang leaders are going to be exactly the same kind of dude no although there is an archetype it's fun to kind of twist it and play around with it a little bit yeah um yeah and i mean we we definitely have to talk about uh pure burn the the antagonist of the piece who is just an absolutely sensational character i just pictured him being this you know you hear about uh, actors on set and their performances literally eating the scenery and this guy was doing it um, <laughs> in some cases quite literally I almost was picturing um, like Marlon Brando's character from Apocalypse Now when he's, he's that charismatic enigmatic cult leader and um, Cybok from uh, Star Trek the, um, the Final Frontier where he's got that cult of personality following him as well so I, I was really picking up on those archetypes with him um, was was that kind of an inspiration there for for him to be this sort of leader of a cult of personality? Um, I'm trying to. So the he was the first short story I did, which is one that's currently mm. not available, unfortunately. Um, oh, but, that's a shame. Yeah, it was for um, the uh, 2018 Black Library Open event. Um, they wanted a short to kind of introduce the novel. So he, and that one's mm. not from his point of view. It's from two gangers having a fight, one of whom's teamed up with the Flame Guild, and it goes very badly wrong for everybody, except <laughs> Pure Burn. So in it, I kind of had these two characters sort of jumping their points of view, and he was quite an enigmatic figure in that, and seemed very pious, was very much like um, mm. the Emperor will provide, don't worry. And the twist in the story is, of course, which I won't spoil the novel no. too much here, but he's nowhere near as pious as he makes out. So once that had been set up, I yeah. kind of just followed that through in the novel. I kind of, in my head, picture Christopher Lee when yeah. I have him. I, I think visually more than anything else, or maybe there's a slight Saruman vibe in terms of the beard and hair, but he was so much fun to write. His scenes were some of the easiest, um, yeah. which is 
maybe says something bad about my personality. <laughs> <laughs> but he's just like scheming and very focused on how he presents yeah. and how he talks to people and the image and not very much caring for substance at all. So well, I think, yeah, with villains, obviously, they've got their own, they, yeah, there's, there's the classic line of they see themselves as the heroes of their own story. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I guess I've kind of always been drawn to villains. Like yes. my favorite, I mean, my, my, my favorite character from Marvel Comics is a whole bunch of people, but Doctor Doom sits way up there. Yeah. There's this character who is a villain, but still he runs a country, his people worship him. He's, yeah. You could see in another reality he would save the world. It's just these his own flaws undo him. And I mean, that's, yeah, I like my villains to be complex and I, I don't like black and white. I no. like that you can almost sympathise with Pierre, in some ways because he, again, is kind of inherited a difficult position and he's a monster about it, but he is trying to do things which aren't always necessary. No, mainly for his own benefit in Paris. Yeah. He's a dick. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I thank... Thanks for the praise. And yeah, I really, really liked Pierre Byrne. He's a, yeah, a very, very creepy dude. And that kind of cult leader aspect of it, I kind of feel has to sit within House Cowdor anyway. Yeah. Like, I, in my head, and again, that's my personal thingy, everyone else is different. I'm sure most of the sort of lower ranks of Cowdor in their ignorant sort of, you know, underhive yokel way are faithful and believe. And some of their leaders do, but I mm. sort of assume quite a lot of them see as you get in real life, religion is a tool for controlling people. Um, yeah, well, there's definitely parallels uh, in, in the novel to um, some of those issues that are debated and discussed about um, the religion and the, the, the role it plays in our society today. Um, mm. So, I mean, each to their own on that one. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I didn't bring my barge pole with me today, so I can't touch them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I always go with uh, people's faith is entirely their own business. But oh, exactly. I'm sure everybody can, whatever your religion or not, can yeah. think of somebody who professes to believe the same as you, who yeah. is just awful and you really wish we'd join another side because they're not helping <laughs> the cause. No, um, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he was the, some of the lower ranking characters in it are more pious, but it was fun to have somebody who, proclaimed and maybe he believes in the god emperor he probably does because i think everybody in that setting yeah. kind of sits in the background like religion did in the middle ages where it's so present but yeah. for him the god emperor's will very much aligns with what he wants at the moment yeah uh, very much so and I, I think another really interesting character that's explored in this novel and in a way is is exploring another group in necromunda that isn't really and probably on purpose isn't really explored in too much depth is the Delax um, mm. with um, uh, uh, what's the name the the Delac operative. I, um, I I say I I know how I spell it. I think yeah. it's pronounced Angus or Angus. But Angus. Yeah. We've yeah. we've heard it from uh, the horse's mouth. There. It's... <laughs> <laughs> well, I I feel like most of the names I've bastardized from somewhere, and I think that's yeah. a Latin word for snake. Like, oh, okay. Or so, so maybe there's a correct, correct pronunciation right. that somebody can inform me of. But yes. actually, no, it's been it's, it's all corrupted, half Latin, for anyway. Yeah. Officially here, Angus. But Angus. I, I, I loved how with with the the Delax, uh, obviously her being the embodiment of them, and um, the other operatives that pop up as supporting characters, is that their intentions and and sort of the motivations behind the actions they've taken are sort of duplicitous in a way so you kind of as a reader you're you're reading it guessing it's like well okay they're heading in this direction then all of a sudden they do something that's completely counterintuitive of what they were doing before and then they come back and sort of resolve it 
I thought that was really clever. Uh, thanks. I mean, partly that was a... Um, I tied the Deluxe to one of... Because, again, I wanted a bit more House involvement in the book. So House Caradore <laughs> being tied to Pure Bird and the Guild of Flame was just a no-brainer because that's heavily in the fluff anyway and thematically. Mm. Um, I chose the Delac because Delac's my favourite gang. I'm yeah. the one I've played the most. Okay. Uh, but when I was doing the novel, one of the things that they said was because I assume at that point... Um, is it House of Secrets or House of Shadows? Either way. House the... of Shadows is the next um, yeah. expansion to come out, yeah. So they said, I, I, my editor said, um, you, I don't know what's coming in that, but they sort of said that, no, please, no point of view to lack characters because we just don't want to give too much away about them. Mm. And that was actually really good because I lent into that and yeah. kept them as... Um, enigmatic as possible so there's only as you say one of them the leader who really talks to people and the rest are just her sort of faceless subordinates mm. and i like the idea that you might not know if it's the same group of people you're talking to and people can yeah. come in and out and that they're referred to by names and numbers but every day they might change those so mm. it's just you don't know who these people are and what they're dealing with and like you say a lot of fun was sort of mentally from my point of view working out what they were doing in the novel but because you never get a pov from them mm. you only ever get to see what other characters think they might be doing yeah and even at the end exactly how much influence they carried is sort of left ambiguous but yeah i really enjoyed writing them and i they're i'm curious honestly to see what happens in house of secrets i'm yeah. hoping they'll keep it somewhat vague i mean whilst it's always these things it'd be cool if someone said actually they're all working for gene stealers that'd be great <laughs> and then you'd be like well that kind of limits what we can do with yeah. them. Yeah. So I think having that established mystery really builds to their, their character in, in the Necromundi world. Yeah. I mean, it's the best 40k, not the best, but a lot of the good stuff is when there's hints and you can kind of mm. put things together, but you're not going to be sure. So I'm curious how they go. But yeah, I'd, I would love to go back and write a bit more to Lack. I think it might be difficult to have them as the protagonist. Yeah. Um, but as supporting characters especially, they're really, really good. They're really interesting to play with. Yeah, I think uh, they have been sort of painted in the years with a, a bit of a uh, sinister brush, almost, haven't they? They're always sort of portrayed as being sort of antagonistic, whereas mm. uh, I think this kind of adds a little bit more uh, shades of grey to it, really. Well, it's, it's sort of difficult because they, um, as you say, they are, they are sort of sneaky and mysterious mm. and all that. But um, part of me thought when writing it, you can't just have them existing in that way because nobody would deal with them yeah of they course. might be good spies but if you if you can never ever trust them and they're completely um duplicitous duplicitous except yes. um they uh, you the interactions with other gangs is going to be minimum so i felt yeah they have to on some level come across as um approachable reasonable mm. um helping you going out of their way to help you mm. because you kind of got to build that element of trust and at yeah. some point it's probably going to bite you in the ass but until yeah. then i guess it's kind of that uh yeah like a i don't know all sorts of things like game of thrones or where you have definitely competing factions that might be naturally enemies but currently they're allies now and they sort of trust each other but you're waiting for and i suppose the argument with Delac is they're probably always the ones who are going to turn first but mm. until then, if they're providing you with useful information, if yeah. everything they say seems to be true, yeah. if they seem to risk their lives to save you and support you, then you, you know, I guess you're going to maybe trust an individual and maybe that'll come back to bite you. Yeah, no, I was, I was very much picking up a Game of Thrones vibe from uh, I, the entire story, but um, 
definitely from the the deluxe, very much uh, Littlefinger and Lord Varys. Um, yeah, I playing mean, the Game of Thrones, working those mechanics. Yeah, and again, they're kind of they're interesting because they're they're not trying to you know continue the analogy. They're not after the throne. No, they're not. The has no because they don't want to be in the light. There's no interest mm. in being. It's operating from the shadows, getting what yeah. you need, and then fading away. And yeah. Um, yeah, and maybe leaving utter chaos and carnage in the process, and just pulling back with the thing you want. Yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting, and um, uh, I highly recommend anyone listening to definitely uh, give it a read and check it out. Um, but moving on from Fire Made Flesh, given the opportunity, what other parts of any of the Games Workshop properties, um, the background and lore, would you like to write about in? You know, if you were given the the blank check by by uh, <laughs> the There's keys a... to the kingdom, um, <laughs> where, where would you go? I uh, I, don't know. I honestly very very much like uh, Necromunda, partly because yeah. always been a big fan of the game, and also, excuse me, I lean towards uh, smaller setting stuff. I mean, having said that, mm. Ian M. Banks is one of my favourite sci-fi authors, and he is the master of um, sweeping epic space operas. So, yeah. That would be fun, especially as the challenge, but I lean more towards smaller scale. So yeah. I guess from those sort of stories is more the interest. Um, mm. I'm a big Dark Elder fan. I managed to do a short for Dark Elder, and I think I might have tweaked them in a few other places. Which, um, But anyway, they would be interesting to do. It'd be very challenging to write a story with them that sort of didn't drift into 18 plus rated territory yeah um, especially a whole novel like a short from somebody else's point of view you can insinuate a lot more and i was a big fan of the andy chambers original dark elder trilogy so yeah that would interest me to be honest age of sigma probably more than anything at this point um mm. because it's i was a big fan of the old world and i know a lot of people were sort of sad at its demise and i yeah from a gaming point especially get you know i got boxes of square based models somewhere um, oh, but, I, I do definitely out in the, <laughs> out in the studio. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, there's a lot, it's opened up tremendously in terms of the stories you can tell again, not so much mm. for my uh, interest, the epic sort of realm wars, but you know, a little village somewhere in the realm of shadows with something unpleasant coming out of the mist. Those sort of yeah. things seem quite appealing. I currently, they have an idea for an age of Sigma story. Okay. But I don't know if it will go anywhere. So um, I'll sort of leave it there, but at the moment, I, if I'm honest, my biggest interest would be the doing something for Age of Sigma. Um, for 40k, I'm mainly a Xenos and Elder player, or um, I wouldn't say I'm not a fan of Space Marines, and I've read some good Space Marines stories, yeah. but I find them a little, as protagonists, a little mm. more difficult to approach. Yeah. Um, because they, to, everyone's got their own thingy. In my head, Space Marines don't have a huge amount of emotional range. Right. Because they're they're tools they're you know weapons yeah so it's kind of interplaying the characters around them more but you know having said that i obviously wouldn't turn down um especially yeah. if it was one of the slightly weirder chapters like the uh space wolves or i don't know maybe marines malevolent yeah i really, I really like those guys as <laughs> just being the utter assholes in space marines sorry i don't oh. know place where <laughs> no, no, go for it it's fine <laughs> all right so yeah um yeah so that maybe something like that would be good but yeah. Age of Sigma is probably the thing just because of the the range of stories you can tell that would interest yeah. me most at present I guess it's also blazing that new frontier of it as well, because it's a game that uh, is still in its early establishment. Obviously, uh, Games Workshop's putting quite a bit of investment into it with um, the new uh, expansion for it that's come out, the new box set. Mm, yeah. Um, so I guess there's a lot of opportunity there for writers like yourself to really kind of start 
blazing new territory and start fleshing out um, the world that is the Age of Sigma. Yeah, I mean, the, the, again, because so much of it is um, terra incognito, if you mm. wanted, hypothetically, to create a really interesting human civilization yeah. with these themes and those themes in this kind of environment, with, you, you can do any of it. Yeah. Um, the old world was great and really um, oh, thematic, etc. Yeah. But it, you, you know, if you wanted to tell certain kind of stories, it, the geography and stuff could create barriers, and you can almost create anything in Age of Sigma as long as it sticks with the IP. So, yeah, I guess that's that's partly the the appeal. Also, I'm kind of my roots is more fantasy than um, sci-fi. Like I like both, but I only really started playing 40k in my mid twenties, whereas Warhammer was fantasy when I was a teenager and kind mm. of carried all the way through. So some of, which probably in some extent comes across in fire made flesh. I kind of like swords more than guns. Yeah. But um, yeah, either way is cool. Ah, uh, it's all good. Um, I guess the, the real question there is, and you've touched upon the experience of writing Fire Made Flesh, how it was this kind of roller coaster of emotions and you, you were having to deal with all these external factors, but obviously there, there's, there, there is a part of it that really appeals to you and that you really enjoy to make it your primary career. Um, so I'm curious as to know, what is it that you enjoy most about writing? I mean, I, I love storytelling, I think is the fundamental, even as a kid, I, I've mm. got a five-year-old now and you just, that kind of, especially, yeah, he looks a lot like me and things. You look <laughs> at how he plays and you're like, as a kid, what did I do? And I think even as a kid, most of my games were stories. Yeah. Um, and, you know, playing um, games, workshop games, most of my armies, at least the leader is converted in some way. Or if you know, yeah. he's a special character, it's kind of a converted proxy because yeah. I like all my armies to some extent tell a story. Yeah. Um, so I just love storytelling. I love reading. I find language very interesting. Um, I can see other creative outlets like filmmaking and stuff being fascinating. I, I don't have the skill set, but, um, <laughs> but one of the really nice things about writing is you can do anything. You have no yeah. special effects budget. You can, I could wipe out the universe. I, you know, I don't know what words I'd use, but you can, you have <laughs> utter free reign to create a story of any sort of kind. You can do anything with it. It's incredibly free. Um, I don't want to say you're not reliant on anybody else because that sounds like really sort of cruddy. <laughs> but it's, um, it's nice to just be that this is on your back and this is your thing and there's no other filter or lens through it until it gets to the editor, who are very, very helpful, by the way. I'm not talking down at all. But no. those kind of aspects of being able to tell a story is, I guess, what's most appealing about it. Um, yeah. It's a very strange process because, like, so Fire Made Fresh came out earlier this year. Yeah. And I'd finished it, I think... August it's kind of there's a lot of at the end of like tweaking and final corrections but so months have passed between it being something I'd done and other people mm -hmm. getting to read it so I'm starting to get that now and that's that's quite fun it's, it's enjoyable getting good feedback it's really nice but that's only just been the arrived now for me in terms of writing it's, it was very much just about the process it's not about the applause it's just about getting to tell stories yeah um so yeah I think sort of to you know, long story short it's that i just love telling stories it just it's a part of my makeup i guess i i not necessarily a follow-up question but sort of to to head off to the side here uh fire may flesh is now available as an audio book mm. um 
obviously that was something that I'm guessing was on the cards when you initially started hammering out the proposal and, and signing all the contracts with Black Library as because obviously they're, they're starting to really push towards the Black Library audio as a means to get those stories out there. But as an author, what, what's your reaction when they say, hey, we're going we're gonna to adapt this for an audio book? Uh, um, when, when I, with, without you know, getting into sort of company secrets or stuff, no, but like no, when I, um, when I, whenever I, you, you produce a thing, there's a contract to sign and there's elements yeah. in terms of if we choose to audio book, if we choose to release like the amount of money that I would get, but just those sort of things, like the nuts and bolts. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there was the option for an audio book when I was first commissioned, but that right. it was never discussed. There was no, hey, maybe this would be an audio book. Yeah. Um, so the fact that it was made into one honestly came as something of a surprise. Right. Uh, a really nice surprise. It's awesome because also I, not so much audio books, um, but I, I love podcasts. I love radio. I love partly because it's something which you can listen to whilst you're, you're cooking or doing something else. So yeah. it's awesome. It's come out in that. I have not listened to it yet because oh. uh, I, I find it hard enough to read. <laughs> um, so I'm sort of putting that off. I researched briefly the guy reading it because I know he's got a very good voice and he's done loads of work. So I was yeah. really pleased about it. But I don't know what it actually would sound like. And I think I would be probably be unable to listen to it for more than a little bit because right. um, it's just when you like, it's the weird process of revising a book. You map it out. Well, what I do, I map it out so it's very structural and then go back and clean it and then clean it and polish and polish and polish and polish. So by the end of it, the beginning I might be like, oh, this seems brilliant. I'm a genius. Yeah. But then I kind of skip from that. Months later, that seems fine. I move on. I'm polishing the bits that don't work or the bits that need to be better. And when I read it, those are the only bits I really see. Mm. Like I kind of scan past going, yeah, 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 it's fine, fine, fine. Oh, yeah, yeah, you didn't quite. Oh, I really wanted to do X and there wasn't the space or I couldn't quite. So I think I'd struggle to listen to it on those grounds because I'd, <laughs> I'd be focusing too much on the flaws. But I'm really, really pleased it's out. And I, yeah, anybody wants to, and I'm sure at some point I will pluck up the courage to see what my words sound like coming out of somebody else's mouth. Oh, okay, I, I have listened to it. It is good. So Oh, yeah. brilliant. Okay, phew, so. <laughs> you. You're all right there. No, he does a fantastic job of uh, narrating the, uh, the book. Um, but the final question I have for you is what advice would you give to any uh, aspiring authors that are out there listening to the show? Um, not just ones that want to maybe write for Black Library, um, but any who want to, you know, uh, follow in your footsteps and, and make a career out of writing. Um, I suppose there's sort of a couple of layers to it. The first one is if you want to write, you need to write. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to read as well. And I would recommend reading widely. I'd recommend, even if you're like, I just want to write for Black Library, which is great. Uh, maybe, you know, just read some classics, read some things outside of the usual genre. Because even if it's not your favorite, you can often pick up things, even if it's just structural things about how people put things together. Um and you need to write and try and write as often as possible. I can't remember the quote. There was some gentleman who said, I only write whilst inspired, which is why I ensure I'm inspired every morning at nine o'clock. Because if you wait for inspiration, you might have long gaps and that makes it harder. It's much, especially for a novel. If you're doing it every day, it's a lot easier because you remember where you are and you yeah. remember what you're doing. And gaps can cause problems. If you get stuck on a section writer's block, go and write something else or go back to a section you've already written and uh, polish it. 
but mm. lit, even, I mean, lot and often, I guess, is better, but little and often, like with painting, it's better yeah. to stay on it. If you have a three-month gap and come back, it's much more difficult than if you're, even if it's just little things, just chipping away all the time. Yeah. Um, in terms of the kind of career aspect of it, again, I probably should have asked the editors and stuff more about why they hired me. Because <laughs> I, I just went, yeah, great. Okay, that's cool. Um, but I think one of the reasons I've got a fair amount of work and I seem to be well received is that I'm aware that I'm writing to a brief. Yes. And um, if they, if Black Library contacts you and says, hey, great, we want you to do this story, and you say, ah, I, I don't really like Ultramarines, I want to do a Blood Angel story. Yeah. Uh, you can try that, but you're not doing the thing that you're being asked. And there may well no. be a Blood Angel story in production, and that's why you're being um, nudged more in this direction. And mm. likewise, if you have a word length, hit the word length. Yeah. If they say, we want a story about this, do this. I've noticed, I don't know if the, they had a submission window recently, but the previous one had a, we want, I think it was something like a, a sort of dirty dozen team. I can't remember. Right. Yeah, but if, I've if they, never seen something about that. Yeah, so if there's yeah. a brief, um, you write the brief. Yes. It doesn't matter if you've got a much better story in your head, Yeah. Um, because that's not what they're looking for, and you have to be yeah. adaptable and flexible. At the same time, if you there's a few points where someone has said, we think you should go X, and I've said, I really think Y will work. Can we give it a try? Mm-hmm. And it has done, and that's great. Yeah. Um, but you, you need to make sure that you don't want to kind of shoot yourself in the foot by... no. Not it doesn't matter how good the story is. Again, if you've written the best Blood Angel story ever, but it's you, unknowing to you, touching on the toes of a story already coming out, it will not go anywhere. So you need to be um, reacting in those ways. And um, yeah, I guess that's probably so. Yeah, the, the read, the write, uh, stick to your brief, and um, you know, get somebody else to proofread it. Uh, like you, there's nothing more embarrassing than sending off a story and having typos and things. It just yeah. Because I've, I've worked in various jobs and I've looked at other people's writing, not always in a creative way, but you yeah. start just spotting a few errors, it puts you off the page. Yeah. It's like yeah. seeing the strings in a movie. Even Ooh. if the next scene is great, it's just you're kind of been pulled out of the movie and now you're having to put yourself back in and you don't, you don't want to do that. I mean, the, the classic thing with like uh, slush piles, I don't know if they still have those, but mm-hmm. there's like hundreds of scripts people are reading through and I'm sure something like the Black Library submission is the same. They must have billions of the damn things. Yeah. And it's not that someone's looking for a reason to reject it, but if you've done any job and you, you know, this is the 50th one you've opened, if you find something quickly which is just wrong, mentally you're going to switch off. Yeah, so no, you need I to, see what you're getting at. Yeah, so you just, and that, maybe that's not fair, but that's just the, any kind of job where you do that yeah. sort of thing. It's just the reality of it, isn't it? Yeah. It's just if, you, if you've got, like, I need to narrow this, like, um, job applications. If I need to narrow nodes down to a few mm. and you get an application with a bunch of typos in it, you think, well, this person's not really paid attention. Yeah. Um, and they, they are not that serious. So it just, so, yeah, those are, I guess, my kind of broad tips on writing. And just, uh, yeah, write what you know, write from the heart, uh, write what you enjoy. And good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Thanks for putting the upward inflection there. <laughs> yeah, like, fills us with confidence. I'm kind of trailing <laughs> off at the end. Of, it's partly it's still the imposter syndrome. I'm like, I don't know yeah. really if I've got the best advice to give on these things, but I can only really say what's worked for me. And I think, as well as obviously producing good writing, the fact yeah. that if they say, can you do this? I say yes, and then find a way is probably means that I'm fairly well received, I would guess. Yeah. Well, I, I've really enjoyed your reading, and uh, that's some sound advice. So I think uh, I think it's uh, 
well worth taking on board to any uh, ambitious writers out there that are listening to the show. Um, but that's all I have for you there, Denny. Thank you so much for coming on the show and, and having a chat to us about um, your novel, Fire Made Flesh, and writing for Black Library and bringing um, those tabletop games to life in, in the form of, of the written word and novels. It's been great to have a chat to you about it. Hey, um, thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's, you know, fun talking about my work and I really appreciate it. So, yeah, cheers. And that was Denny Flowers. His latest novel, Fire Made Flesh, is out now and is available where Black Library books are sold, as well as on ebook and audiobook format. Well, that's it for this episode of Brushing Up, but please do make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast so that you get notified every time a new episode is released. But until next time, keep on hobbying. You've been listening to Brushing Up, a miniature painting and tabletop gaming podcast. If you have enjoyed the show, why not follow us on Facebook? Facebook.com forward slash Quartermaster Miniature Building Painting. And on Instagram, Instagram.com forward slash Quartermaster Studios. To find out more about Quartermaster Studios Commission Painting Services, please visit QuartermasterStudios.com. Brushing Up is a Quartermaster Studios production with music supplied by BenSound.com.